Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 1730 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amado. Tonight, I'm here with... Hawa Idriso. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. Today, we started the, the process leading to the passage of the vote of no confidence. Uh, we summoned him to the PLCC committee. That, that, that was where we were going to move to pass the vote of no confidence. Assembly members in Bosumifra who in the Ashanti region begin processes to remove the ADC whom they say they have difficulties working with. Also coming up, Ningo Pram Pram MP Sam George and other anti-LGBTQI campaigners give the Ayawaso West Assembly up to 24 hours to pull down a billboard purported to be promoting the act. And later on Eyewitness News. The men pulled a pistol and a gun. They told the deceased that that was his last day on earth. They shot him. The bizarre story of how a commercial bus driver in the Upper East region was shot and burnt to death in the presence of his passengers in what is believed to be connected to the protracted Boku ethnic conflict. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Economists with Data Bank Arigmati calls for more targeted fiscal policies aside the monetary policy to help curb the continuous rise in inflation rates. That's in 50 minutes with Netili Neti of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including in the Western region on Premier FM 100.5 in Takradi, as well as Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener FM 95.9 in Sunyani. In the Ashanti region, we are on Alpha Radio 104.9 in Kumasi, as well as Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the Volta region, we are on Global 105.1 FM in Ho and Adanu 107.7 FM in Adakuluwaya. In the Northern region, we are on Diamond 93.7 FM in Tamale. In Upper West, we are live on Westlink 88.1 FM in Laura. In Upper East, we are on Source 100.1 FM in Boko. And in the Northeast region, we are live on the Nakpanduri Escarpment via SCAP 101.3 FM. Join us uh, by sending messages to our WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM Broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. I am Umaru Sandamaru here with Hawa Idrisu who brings us our first story. Assembly members in the Bosumi Frehon district of the Ashanti region have begun processes to pass a vote of no confidence on the district chief executive for the area, Yao Danso. The assembly members have accused the DCE of causing divisions within them, keeping motorbikes meant for them and inciting community members against them. The assembly members say they have initiated the processes and vowed to ensure the DCE is removed from office. Let's go to the community now, Bosumifrehu, one of the district Bosumifrehu, one of the districts in the Ashanti region where this particular issue uh, has come up, and we are told there was actually a demonstration or a protest of a sort uh, with some of the assembly members wearing red um, bands, uh, some tied to their head and some to their hands. 
in protest to their DCE. Let's speak to Boachi Maxwell de Graft. He is one of the 19 assembly members who were protesting. You're welcome to Eyewitness News, Mr. De Graft. Good evening, Sander. First of all, how many assembly members are there in your, your assembly? Uh, we, we have uh, 30, including the Honorable DC. Okay, how many government appointees? Nine. Okay, so it means you are you are you are twenty one, or you 21. are you are twenty elected assembly members. Twenty one, but we've lost one of us, so we are currently twenty. You're twenty nine government appointees, and then the 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 DCE. The DCE, yeah. Nineteen of you were demonstrating today. We actually twenty two, so we have uh, two appointees. Two of the government appointees were part of the demonstration. Sure, sure. Okay, for those who do not know the geography of um, Ashanti region that well, help us make sense of where Bosumi Frahun is. Bosumi Frahun share boundaries with uh, Asante Bekwai, Asante Achim South, uh, and Igabin, Egisu Igabin. And what are the major towns in Bosumi Frahun? Uh, Esiwa. Danso, That's your capital? Yeah. Tebeso, Insuaim. Um, yeah, these are the major towns. Okay, there. great. How long has your DC been office for? Six years now, two terms. So he's gone for his second term. You've endorsed him as your DC. Sure, sure. Why are you then at loggerheads with him, up in arms, wanting him to go? Uh, actually, uh, let me let me let me say good evening to your your, your listeners and your viewers. Um, we've been there with him, just as you said. He's been with us for a long time before his appointment. But then uh, currently, is it, is it before we confirmed it for a second um, time, we wanted to disapprove of Kufado's uh, or president's nomination. People came in that uh, he was going to change, and he was going to make things happen. And that calmed us down, including our presiding member who, who, who led the campaign for us to confirm him. And he's going to make sure things uh, are calmed at the assembly. So that is how come we have to confirm him again. But then the story has uh, to be the same ever since he came to the office for the second term. What was and your so, difficulty with him in the first term? Actually, we are not seeing any development in Bosome Freyhon. None, none of the roads in Bosome Freyhon is, is, is even more trouble. Bosome Freyhon has a place uh, which produces the, the quality of cabbage uh, there's a town called Adeto. That is where cabbage is, is, is brought out to the whole of Ghana. But then the rules in Busume Frehon are no more trouble. We've been complaining times and times again. We had to wait because the president said he was going to inaugurate um, Year of Rose. Year of Rose came for the first year, the second year. We've never had an inch of third road. Come to the district assembly. All the technocrats who are helping the district assembly. The, the assembly has to be a new assembly created, I think, in 2009. So he's the second DCE who was taken over after the first DCE had his share of eight years. The technocrats who are the assembly and uh, helping the developmental project, he, he, has, he has maneuvered his way to either sack or force some of them out of the district. So currently we do not have the technocrats who, 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 will be, who will be in to assist what this, uh, the office should be doing. 
So most of them has taken a um, release or transfers from the place because of his, his, his human relations and how he does his things. And so we, we are lacking behind in terms of um, development. So these are some of the major challenges that we had with him in his second term. When you say and his human relations, uh, what, does he insult the technocrats? Does he abuse them? What kind of relationship does he all have with them? Sort of, which makes them jump out? Abuse, all sort of abuse. That is from what we, we, we had from them. Okay, so he, he verbally abuses them. Exactly. Now, you are hoping that this will change, and you are saying that this has not changed. You know, even traveled from west to west. Because now, he has created factions amongst we, the assembly members. You see, there was this presiding member who led his crusade that we should forgive him of all his deeds, then confirm him for the second time. After he was confirmed, he came back in March. He, he was confirmed in October, uh, end of October last year. He came back in March and wanted us, called us to his house, his bungalow, and um, assured us that he cannot work with a presiding member again. So he has uh, coughed up his own candidate for whom he wants us to, to vote for. But then knowing who the assembly member is and what he, he does for the assembly, we went again and voted, voted for him again, against his, his, his man, you understand? So, so this, was, so this presiding, presiding, this yeah, presiding member, was he part of your demonstration today? Actually, today, it wasn't um, actually a demonstration. What happened is that for all these things that has been going on, he instigating communities against assembly members, he disrespecting assembly members, and then the lack of development. For these reasons, some of the assembly members tabled before the PLCC the PLCC, the Public Relations and Complaints Committee, for which the presiding member is the chairman of the committee, we tabled a motion or a complaint to him. And then he also forwarded the complaints in a form of writing, inviting the DC to the PLCC. That was, that was what was supposed to happen today at the assembly. But then barely um, a day ago, we, we saw on WhatsApp, that the DCA is complaining of he having malaria and that he has taken sick leave uh, so he cannot attend today's meeting. That was what angered most of the assembly members and pushed us to the assembly to witness what the proceedings would be at the PRCC. And I, I can confirm to you that the PRCC meeting or the committee meeting went on and uh, they sat actually because the PRCC chairman said he had not received a formal notice from him that he was sick. It was only uh, on WhatsApp that he has chance on certain release. So whatever that must go on went on today. So they are going to table before the General Assembly, uh, I think 10 days from now, the report from what he had. And I can confidently tell you that what is going on, it is breaching a vote of no confidence on the DCA. So you guys are pushing for a vote of no confidence? That is the process that we are, we are, we are going through now. Because before you... Uh, you table a vote of no confidence. You must give the DC a fair hearing. That is according to the standing orders of the district assembly. You that fair hearing would fair have hearing. been at the meeting today, which he did not exactly. come. Exactly. But you tried him in absentia. That's that's against natural justice rules. Pardon? You tried him in his absence. Uh, that would not be fair to him, would it? 
No, you see, you see, we have given you a letter to appear before the PLCC, right? And then you are on social media proclaiming that you are you are ill and that you've taken a steady um, um, sick leave. Meanwhile, so why don't yesterday, you don't you wait for him to to get well and return? Yesterday, on his, on one of your sister stations in Asante region, he was on the on live at the midday news saying that he's not sick. We have the audios and everything. So he said he, he doesn't want to appeal before the committee. So there's a disrespect to the committee. There's a disrespect to the assembly members. Don't forget that we are we are only representatives. We are not pushing our own agenda. We are only representatives of the chiefs and then the people that who, who voted for us. There are a lot of things that, that is going on at Bosmechreho. For want of time, it is only the assembly members who have the voices to, to come out. There are a lot of people who want to come out, but they don't have the voice. So we are only acting upon um, the dictates of our, our, our chiefs and what our people want. What we are saying now is for what is going on, I think the president should hear us out. Then uh, either change him. Other than that, 10 days from now, we are going to impeach in proper impeachment and then the vote of no confidence will be passed on him. And you are confident that you are going to get at least two-thirds of the votes or what is required have, for his removal? We have the two-thirds. We have the two-thirds already, senior. Have you complained to the regional minister about this? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me confess to you that uh, there's an issue that even happened right in front of the D.C. You see, my people, I am, I am the assembly member for Montreal Electoral Area. One of the towns in my, in my electoral area visited him at his office and cried that he wants uh, a school building because where, they, where, where the students are schooling is, is, is not the best. He told them that during their time, they were working miles, six miles, 12 miles to, to schools. They are only lucky that there are schools around their communities, so they should go for schools. They should go to schools around their communities. These were his utterances to the chiefs and the people that went to him. Now, we have been able to get NGOs, Madame Fogana Foundation, who have come in to construct a new building for us. During the commissioning, the regional minister was here together with himself. Now, because I voted against his, his man for the presiding member, he is not in good terms with me. But then, since he came to my area, I had to go and welcome him. I had to go and greet him. He said, no, he was not going to greet me. And then this happened in front of the, the, the regional minister. The regional minister had to pull his hand to accept my handshake before he did that. This is the DC we are talking about. So most of these issues are before the, the regional minister. And nothing has been done about it at the regional no, minister's level? Nothing has been done. One issue had to do with even our motorbikes. You see, for every four years, the, the uh, government grants us access to motorbikes for which we be able to move about to do our things. Now, on the day of the voting, he promised us that should we vote for his candidate, for the presiding member, he was going to hand over the, the motorbikes to us. After the, the election, for which the, 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 uh, the candidate he brought lost, he refused giving us our motorbikes. Now, he has called the six people who voted for his people or for his man. He has given them their motorbikes. But about 23 of us, we do not have our motorbikes. As of now, the motorbikes are at the office or at the seat of the, the assembly. And then uh, it, is, it is rotten. Let me say so. So you are seeing the motorbikes which belong to you, but they are not being given to you?
they are there for for more than two months now what's his reason for not giving you the motorbikes because we voted against his man because that was his promise that should we vote for his man um he's going to give us the motorbikes is that how and the it, distribution is supposed to be done never never i see um this process that you have initiated is that the 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 appropriate process of removing a dc based on your standing orders exactly and you are going to carry it out like you said what, what what can make you stop or what 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 intervention can make you change your mind we we will only do that uh when he comes out to say okay i have resigned oh, so he must go way. he must go either voluntarily or be, be pushed you are not going to for now nothing is going to stop so us. you're not going to have him around anymore you're, you're done with him nothing is going to stop us you talked about no development in your district has he been given the appropriate funds to use in developing the roads and the other infrastructure that he did not do for which reason you are saying he's a reason to blame perhaps there are no funds in the assembly you know the coffers how how, how good are your coffers uncle do you, do you want to sit down at the at the at the um the district a second time running dc before your roads are done for you it doesn't happen so yeah, but you have to you be see, given the common fund. You have to get IGF. If these are not coming, what do you do? You no, can't IGF, fund the project IGF, by, from your pocket. IGF alone cannot even help Tali Road. Even the common fund cannot help Tali Road because the common fund has what it's supposed to do in the district. Right. You see, you, you, you must lobby with your, with your MP. This is, a, this is a DC who is not even in terms with his MP. Who is your MP? Currently, we have honorable um, Akusi Boateng uh, as our as a MP. There's not a working relationship between the DC and your it, MP? No. When was the it last happened. time you sat as an assembly with him presiding as DC or your presiding member and him being president? The that, DC? Was, that was last year. So how, how often are you supposed to have assembly meetings? At least four or five times in a year. Have the you had this year? And you haven't had any whole, meeting this year? The whole of this year, we've never had a meeting. The only meeting that we had, we, we had was a special meeting that was to vote for a presiding member. Now, who um, convenes a meeting of the, of the assembly? The meeting is conveyed by the, the presiding member. So you can't blame the DC? Signed and endorsed by the DC. Countless times has the presiding member gone to his office, but he doesn't make his presence. So he doesn't work with his presiding member either. He's not even in terms with him because that he is not whom he wanted to be the presiding member. Interesting. Um, and to go to go against the presiding member means you've gone against the, the assembly because he's the leader of the assembly. The, the assembly belongs to the assembly members, and our leader is the presiding member. And 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 fortunately for us, or unfortunately, this same presiding member stood for the NPP chairmanship race and he has won your presiding so member is your is the NPP constituency chairman he doubles as the NPP constituency chairman so it is not political the DC would possibly also be NPP exactly because the NPP government will never appoint an NDC well maybe one day they may decide <laughs> <laughs> and you the assembly members are also NPP aren't you Assembly is not partisan, but I'm just saying that that's on paper. But behind the scenes, we all know.
that you have partisan positions. So I just want to ask that question because I want it to be on the record whether or not you are seeking to remove him because of your political position against him. Perhaps you are NDC assembly members who want to remove him. No, you see, Bosome Frehon is Bosome Frehon. Bosome Frehon is a seat of NDP. So and chances are that you are all MPP assemblymen. These are chances. Most of us. Okay. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, we'll be back to your, your, your place in 10 days to see if you succeed with your attempt or there will be an intervention that would make you back down. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, too. That's Bwachi Maxwell de Graft. He's an assembly member in the Bosumi Frehu district of the Ashanti region. He and uh, some 20 other assembly members want to remove their DC. They are passing a vote of no confidence in him. They say that they simply cannot work with him for a number of reasons, including failure to develop the district and also his, uh, what they describe as a poor working or human relationship uh, with the assembly members and other officials of the assembly. We have made contacts with the DCE. He has declined to comment on this particular subject. This is Eyewitness News. We return with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's move on to some other stories. Um, actually, we remain in the Ashanti region. How very well. A 21-year-old man has died after he was attacked by a group of young men at Asakori Mampon in the Ashanti region. The deceased, Denis Ousu, died shortly after he was rushed to the Manshia Government Hospital following the incident. According to the sister of the deceased, the young men came to the area to retaliate a stabbing of their colleague. The mob, upon arrival in the area, spotted the deceased with one of the wanted persons and immediately attacked him with offensive implement. The family of the deceased is calling on the police to ensure the perpetrators are arrested. Francesca Ousu Ampon is sister of the deceased. There is a boy called Nas who had a disagreement with some of his friends in the area. In the course of the disagreement, he stabbed one of them and hit another with a stone. He ran away after the act. It was at that point one of the boys who was with Nas rushed to my brother and called on him to save him. That is when the boys turned their attention to my brother and beat him mercilessly. They stabbed him and hit his head with a stone. Someone rushed and called us to the scene. I got a taxi and when I was taking him to the hospital, the boys chased the vehicle and said they wanted to kill him completely. I want the relevant authorities to deal with the matter. Francesca Uzu Ampon, a sister of a 21-year-old young man who was assaulted to death at Asakori Mampon in the Ashanti region. Meanwhile, one of the suspects who took part in the assault has been arrested by police. Now, yesterday, uh, we brought you a story that the minority side in parliament had threatened to block all bills brought before the House until a determination is made on the anti-LGBTQI plus bill 
currently sitting in a committee room in the house now that was yesterday we spoke to the minority whip today there is some fresh development in relation to um well not necessarily the bill but some proponents of the bill lead proponent of the anti-lgbtqi bill is mp for ningo pram pram samonati george today he took journalists on a tour to the termamoto way where he said there is some lgbtqi activity of a sort ongoing which activity is illegal. He joins us on the line. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. W what is the issue? Very good evening to your listeners, Omar. Over the weekend, my attention was drawn to a billboard that had come up along the motorway, just at the Accra end of the motorway, when you're branching into East Ligon. That was uh, putting forward LGBTQ material. Um, we thought that the authorities would act on it, but it's been today's day five since that billboard, our attention was drawn to it, no action had been taken. And so we went there today and uh, spoke to the media and said, we we're going to act in defense of the Constitution under Article 3 of the Constitution, which enshrines or puts an, a bedding on citizens to defend the Constitution. The Constitution is being flouted by that billboard, Article 11 of the Constitution, Article 26.2 of the Constitution, Article 39 of the Constitution are all being flouted by the presence of that billboard. And so we called on law enforcement to immediately begin uh, the processes, both the Attorney General and the IGP, the processes for the arrest and prosecution of one Mr. Donko, who is the convener of the LGBTQ plus rights uh, group that have claimed on radio to be behind the mounting of that billboard, and then for the assembly to immediately, within the next 24 hours, pull down that billboard, else our citizens will go act in defense of the Constitution. This Mr. Donko you talk about, did he say whose interest he's representing and what the purpose of the billboard was? He's the convener of a group called LGBTQ Flash Right. What, what further information do you need? So, so he, was emphatic, he was emphatic that what he had put up there, that bill, billboard was for that purpose. Because I'm asking this question because I've looked he said, at the... He said, he said, he said this, is, this month is what they call Gay Pride Month. And so those were part of the activities that they were going to use to celebrate the Gay Pride Month in Ghana. We don't celebrate Gay Pride Month in Ghana. Let me draw the attention of Ghanaians and your listeners to this. In 2007, the, the LGBTQ community actually announced a Gay Pride March in Accra. Then President, His Excellency John Ajikum, before, stopped it and asked them not to come to Ghana. In 2010, that group came back again that they were coming to have a gay pride meeting in Ghana. President John Evans Atamil of Blessed Memory stopped that meeting. You can't tell me you're going to celebrate gay pride month in Ghana. We don't celebrate it. It's not a known celebration in Ghana. And so we cannot say that a group wakes up and says that they are celebrating it. Then tomorrow a group will also wake up and say that they are celebrating the formation of ISIS. What do we do? Okay, now, did they say who gave them the authority and rights to erect that billboard? 
Well, they didn't. As far as that conversation was, that information was not put out. However, billboards are supposed to be erected with the permission or with the permit from the assembly. That also with municipal assembly is the area where that falls within. Um, in all fairness to the assembly, when we go to the site today, that site appears to me to be a Goro site. You know, we have Goro billboard sites. These are billboard sites that are erected by unscrupulous advertising agencies without permits from the assembly. Normally, part of the standard uh, for, for billboards is that the company whose billboard it is will have a sign of the company's name and a contact number on the billboard. There was no such thing on this billboard. And so, until and unless we're able to establish that the assembly granted them that permit, I, I would go with the position that that was done on the blind side of the assembly. But that is why we are using the media to draw the attention of the assembly. If they were not aware of it for the past five days, today we have drawn the attention. And I can say that even this evening, I have spoken with a member of parliament for the IRSO West Wagon constituency in whose constituency that district is, or whose constituency falls within that district, the Honorable Lydia, who is also a deputy chief whip of the majority side. And in all fairness to her, she said she wasn't aware of it. And she was grateful that we had drawn her attention to it. She was going to immediately speak with her MCE and immediately begin action to ensure that that billboard was taken down. Because as far as she was concerned, she's an ex-official member of the Assembly. The Assembly would not authorize such a billboard under any circumstances. So you're saying if this is not done, the removal is not done by tomorrow, you'll do it yourselves? As citizens of the Republic, we will act in defense of the Constitution. Very well. Uh, thank you for speaking to us. Uh, by the way, what's the status of the bill that you sponsored to the House? Oh, oh sorry. Well, we, 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 we have raised the issues. Yesterday, you spoke to my minority chief. chief yes, I just want to know if there's, uh, any, there's been any development subsequent to that. Oh, there hasn't been any yet. I mean, and we will only continue to serve notice to the government that they use their whip system to whip the majority, the, the member of the majority who is the, the 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 chairman of that committee. You know, ironically, he's behaving like a Konongo Kaya, and Konongo happens to be in his constituency. Uh, it will be important that he realizes that he cannot be a Konongo Kaya on this matter. He will either have to carry the committee to do his job, or as a Konongo Kaya or a JMU, he will have to leave it for someone who is competent and ready to do the job to do the job. But the Honorable Kwame Aimee would be compelled to either do his job or step aside for someone to do the job. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Samuel Nati George. He's NDC MP for Ningo Pram Pram and also uh, the key proponent of the uh, anti-LGBTQI bill currently uh, before the House of uh, Parliament. Let me bring some of the reactions you've been sending to us on uh, WhatsApp platform. Uh, Walanyo Nakwetia says, if the DC has taken the position of has taken possession of the motorcycles that belong to the assembly members, there is a genuine channel to pass their grievances through rather than pass it through a vote of no confidence. Fiamogo in Abo near Akachi says, let the constitution work. I like what the assemblymen want to do. Kudos to them. Um, Okro Yeboa from Bremen Benin says the MMDCEs um, should work hard 
to consolidate the gains of the MPP government so that we can easily break the eight. Lukman in Asmankesi in the Eastern region says, to a very large extent, I blame these assembly members. It is better to cast your vote for the appropriate people to lead rather than quote-unquote selling your votes for motorcycles. And so that is uh, some of the reactions you have been sending through here on Eyewitness News. We are broadcasting from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Do let uh, your voice be heard too. Send your message to 0549-986-996. And the world will hear what you think. Eyewitness News returns shortly. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's remain with that story of the billboard that has been erected on the motorway, which has forced members of parliament to drive journalists or go with journalists uh, to go um, complain and actually say that they demand that a uh, billboard is removed. The Advertising Association of Ghana is generally in charge of lots of these advertising or billboards that we see. Uh, let's ask them if this particular one uh, falls under their umbrella and if they know anything about it. Francis Dazi is the executive director of the Advertising Association of Ghana. Mr. Daz, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, the members of parliament are angry with this particular billboard, uh, which they say is promoting LGBTQI. How does one get to put um, a billboard up in Ghana? Uh, thank you very much and good evening to your listeners. In the first place, uh, the local government has mandated the local assemblies to be responsible for giving permitting for temporary structures. And billboards are part of the list of items that are generally regarded as temporary structures. Albeit because the permitting cycle is a year and it's renewable. So you go to the local, you, if you identify a site you want to mount a billboard with regards to the permitting process, you go to the local assembly and they have application forms. The application forms requires you to provide the location, name, and other regulatory requirements like structural design of the billboard and the site plan of the location. When you put in this application, it's supposed to be received by the land use and state planning secretariat, which by law is the secretariat for the planning authority. So they receive this application and they constitute an inspection team that should go to the location you have applied for and go and inspect the location, i.e. looking at municipal lines, ECD lines, Ghana water cables, underground, and other things, pipes, and distances between the, the, the system board and if there are any other board, the appropriate distances. We'll also look at the road reservation from the road edge to where you want to mount the ball, the distance. We consider all these factors and whether there are even trees around the area which will require that you might be tempted to cut the trees to put your ball on another thing. So all these inspections are done. 
in the ideal situation. And so when you have all these things done, then the assembly will write to you to indicate to you the appropriate permit fee that you have to pay for the permit to be granted. If you comply with that, then the permit is granted. But let me suffice it to say that there are 80% of the billboards that are in this country today that do not go through these processes. Okay. So if there are chances that this particular billboard we're talking about did not go through this laborious process you've just outlined for us. Uh, 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 uh. It, it is it's not laborious. It is a public safety requirement to go through this to save the public and security. It's not laborious. But I'm just saying that there is a chance that this particular billboard did not go through that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. It didn't go through the process. You so know that... It didn't go through the process... You know, you know yes. that or you guess that? I know that. How? Do you know what the status of every billboard in Ghana is? It is required that any billboard that goes through that process will have a sticker on the board as to who owns the billboard. When you go through that process, you put your sticker or your company's name to identify that this billboard belongs to me. In the situation that we find ourselves in, it is obvious that the billboard did not go through that process. Because it does not have that. It does not have a sticker to identify who owns that board. If you go through that process, you are required to put a sticker there to identify that you own the board. And we show that you have gone to the legal requirements to have the board erected. What are the considerations that have to be taken or considered in putting up billboards of this nature? I.e., do you have any uh, rules that govern what the content of a billboard should be? Absolutely. We have the Advertising Standards and Code of Ethics, which mandates that the billboard, one, must be legal, two, and must be decent, and three, must take into consideration the country's own idiosyncrasies and cultural practices. When you are putting on some content, not to be offensive and other things, yes. Okay. Now that the MP and his friends have planned to go and remove it by tomorrow if it's not removed, what do you say to that? Absolutely, it is the responsibility of either the police or the, or the local assembly in that jurisdiction. And if my investigation is right, it is that I have also worked for the municipal assembly and the police who have the responsibility. If they invite the AAD to assist them with logistics, and equipment will do it with anarchy. Can someone remove a billboard they believe is not right? It can only be done by one, the municipal assembly or the police. Based on the content that you've seen on this billboard, would you say it flies in the face of the uh, codes that guide your advertising? Absolutely, 100%. It does. So anyone asking for it to be removed is in order? Very much so in order. Thank you for speaking to us. My pleasure. That's but Francis. Go, go ahead. You wanted to make a last-minute submission? Yes. For information, I hear the board has been removed as we speak. I'm yet to confirm. You hear that the billboard has been removed? Yes. But I'm yet to physically get pictures to confirm. But okay. that's I have been doing that. Okay. Uh, let me just also now have a last question to ask you. Um, if it is found that this billboard does not meet the standards that it ought to meet, and yet it's been erected. 
Who should take the blame? The municipal assembly. Can someone be punished, uh, punished or penalized? Of course, because the uh, uh, laws, LI-2180, the road traffic regulations, LI-2180, section 188, refers to the fact that before billboards are mounted, they must conform with the outdoor advertising standards as promulgated by the Ghana Standards Authority, and it does not conform. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, that's uh, Francis Dazi. He's executive director of the Advertising Association of Ghana. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Uh, we have this break and then come back to give you some more stories. Please stay with us. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. One person has been shot and burned to death by unknown gunmen at Nakom in the Pusiga district of the Upper East region in connection with the protracted Boko ethnic conflict. The 46-year-old commercial driver Yakubu plies the Boko Sinkasi route. According to one of the passengers on board the vehicle, the bandits blocked the road and ordered the passengers out before killing and burning the deceased. Yeah, I'm dosing. I lie. Don't tire among Sanya. Dick Quanawa. Did you see me or Mala Bessie? I was together with a man and three other people in a car. On our way back from our journey, we saw some men sitting by the roadside. When we bypassed them, they got up, picked up their motorbike and followed our car. I told our driver that when we get to the police checkpoint, he should park the car because the guys were chasing us. But the driver told me I was telling lies. Our driver drove a few meters away and the guys crossed us and asked us to stop the car. The men pulled a pistol and a gun. They told the deceased that that was his last day on earth. They shot him. They shot him again and collected our bags and took all our monies. They then asked us to run out of the car, leaving the dead body. They brought out a gallon of petrol and poured it on the body and bent him together with the car. You had a woman who witnessed the burning to death of a 46-year-old driver by unknown gunmen at Nakom in the Pusiga district of the Upper East region. Let's now take you to the Eastern region where the regional minister said Kwame Echampon says effort are underway to provide psychological assistance to the 15-year-old girl who was physically and sexually abused by some persons. According to the minister, the girl who is in a stable condition after a medical examination has resumed academic work. He tells the news that both the mother and the uncle of the girl are still in custody assisting with investigations. Very, very barbaric. It's so unfortunate that in this day we should experience such manner of, you know, poor management of a fellow in respect of nurturing. If a child is not, you know, you could consider them to be truant. 
that is not the approach to you know meet in correcting them to become as you expect them based on your expectations. And so we are going to ensure that we give her the best of care. I mean, our responsibility and respect of duty of care. This is the time that as managers of this economy and this republic, how we go with it. So together with the district chief executive and the administration, we are taking serious. We've made the GES uh, director of the district director of education, the head teacher, and some teachers who have some uh, knowledge in, in managing such situations to be with her as she goes through her normal chores. Ideally, we should have isolated her for a while, but our initial findings in respect of managing her gave us so much hope that we could get her to return to school, which she was so desirous to do. And so we didn't want to prevent her from going for what she wants. You heard the Eastern Regional Minister said Kwame Echampo. The COVID-19 National Trust Fund has advanced an amount of 1.8 million cities to the Center for Plant Medicine Research for the possible production of herbal medicines to cure COVID-19. The fund says the use of orthodox medicines has become important following the spike in COVID-19 cases. Speaking at a signing ceremony at the Jubilee House, chairperson of the fund, Madame Sophia Kofu, says herbal remedies will be needed to fight COVID-19. Director, an agreement for the provision of financial support in the amount of 1,800,037 Ghana cities. The COVID-19 Trust Fund to the Center for Plant Medicine Research, CPMR, Mampong, The purpose of this financial support is to fund research into the development of herbal products against SARS-CoV-2 virus and the COVID-19 virus. I think the medical people among us understand the difference more than I do. All I know is that we are going to be supporting a very important area of research and development. This funding is intended to enable the CPMR to undertake a full-scale research and development of antiviral and immunomodulatory herbal products. So far, the ones they have done a lot of work on, the Immunium and the Ampoforte, which have been registered by the Food and Drug Authority already. These two herbal products are formulated to support the immune system for the effective treatment of SARS-CoV-2 virus and the COVID-19 disease. I wish to, at this point, to go off my... He had the chairperson of the COVID-19 National Trust Fund, Sophia Ekofo. Some caterers of the school feeding program say they have finally received their payment from the government. The caterers for several weeks now have been agitating over non-payment of their monies, which had been in arrears for school two school terms. However, regions with lower school enrollments such as the Vota, Western North, Oti, Bono, Ahafo, 
Bono East and Northeast regions have been paid. Speaking to City News, the president of the Greater Accra School Feeding Kitchens Association, Juliana Kojo, said although they are happy that some of their colleagues have been paid, they want payments to be extended to the rest of the caterers. I just heard from our regional coordinator and TPC that they have been paying for not region or T region and so on. So, so you can confirm that the people, the caterers in these regions have received payment? Yes, yes. Have they been paid in full? Yes, uh, they have been paid in full. Okay. So what's the plan for those of you in the regions such as Greater Accra and Ashanti region? Have you had any news from the secretaries? No, no please. Okay, I'm happy. Because uh, uh, they are suffering a, a lot. Some of them were, uh, they were holding them five, five times. The greater crowd is only two times. So if they are paying them, we are happy. We are expecting that we want to hear something positive from them. We are waiting for them to pay greater crowd so that we will go to work. Juliana Kujo is president of the Greater Accra School Feeding Caterers Association. The management of the Ghana Water Company Limited in the Ashanti region is calling on the Operation Halt Phase 2 to intensify its operations to stop illegal mining activities near the Odasso water treatment plant. The company laments that the activities of these illegal miners are affecting water supply badly in Obuasi and its surrounding communities. Speaking to City News, the public relations officer of the Ghana Water Company in the Ashanti region, Ebenezer Paddy, now called on the MCE of Obuasi and the Asante Hene to intervene in addressing the matter. Now, the water Dorda River that we all know has been under attack for some time now. And now we feel government is talking about Galang Stop and Operation Hot 2. So things have come down. There is Galang say going on 70 meters from our intake point. Yeah. It's, it's affecting everything there because it's going to affect the quantity of water we'll be able to extract. It's also going to affect the turbidity of the water, which means you are going to incur more chemicals. And this is the issues that is affecting our operations. We are calling on um, the Operation Hot 2. We are calling on government. We are calling on the MC, the chiefs. We are calling on His Royal Majesty Otunfo to really come to our aid. Because this is the time Ghanaians are complaining about our tariff proposal. And we have to we have to know that Galamse is a sin against humanity and water. Ebenezer Padina is the public relations officer of the Ghana Water Company Limited in the Ashanti region. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Natalie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. The government statistician, Professor Samuel Kobnainim, is predicting a continuous trend of an increase in the rate of inflation for the next few months. Recent data from the Ghana Statistical Service indicates that further hikes in transport fares and food prices have pushed the rate of inflation for the months of May to twenty to 27.6%. Speaking to the media after the announcement yesterday, Professor Enim explained that following the current situation with the major influences of inflation and previous trends, it is expected that the country might continue to see an upward trend in the inflation rate for a while. Any 
any time before the release uh, on a conversation on what we expect, I want people to direct their thoughts to what is exactly happening on the ground. And as you rightly said, on the ground we still see prices of commodities changing. And these are happening from two perspectives, either the direct path where we see transportation, fuel going up as we saw um, last week, and the indirect part, which is difficult to determine, which is the pass-through um, effect. So one is difficult to say that we've reached the end of the cycle of the pass-through effect. As we rightly see now, diesel is coming second to grapes in terms of the highest change, but with the price changes that we saw, unless there is any other intervention that we're going to see, I mean, it will be difficult to say that we're going to see anything much lower than what we are currently um, seeing. But clearly with the price variations that um, are happening in recent times, that is what unfortunately we would have to um, contend with. That was the government statistician Professor Samuel Kobna Emin. Meanwhile, an economist with Data Bank, Karij Mati, believes the time for targeted subsidies for key sectors like agriculture to check the rising rate of food prices which feeds into food inflation is now. While the contribution of food and non-alcoholic beverages to national inflation saw a reduction by 1.6 percentage points, it still stood at 48.4%, indicating that the hike in food-related prices contributed about half of the overall inflation rate recorded in the country in May. So overall, I, I think that this is a data that confirms that we are not in normal times. This is a data that also confirms that monetary policy alone cannot solve the situation. And this is data that also confirms that fiscal policy needs to be more targeted and not blanket or sweeping scale implementation. And talking about more targeted fiscal policy, if we have a fiscal policy that is more targeted, we could find a way of mitigating the, the cost pressures that is being imposed by inflation. So, for instance, you could argue for subsidies, but you could only have argued for subsidies if we have a system that is able to accurately identify the segment of societies that needs to be subsidized, that need to be given cash handouts or coupon handouts. But our system does not allow that. You know, one of the reasons why you could say inflation in Ghana is 27.6% and in our neighboring Nigeria is only about 17%, they are adopting a subsidy system. In Ghana, we will not argue for this kind of subsidy, but we would argue for a more targeted subsidy. Karaj Mati is an economist with Data Bank. Senior lecturer at the Department of Economics of the University of Ghana, Dr. Prisla Chumisi Bafo, is urging government to introduce more policies to address the challenges within Ghana's manufacturing sector. According to her, this will make the sector competitive within the sub-region. Dr. Prisla Chumisi Bafo was speaking during the launch of the 2021 World Bank Trade and Competitiveness Reports, which indicated that Ghana's manufacturing sector has been underperforming over the past 10 years. I think that the report comes in on the relevance of the service sector in Ghana's transformation agenda. Um, but the issue we are faced with is with uh, very low to moderately skilled um, young people on the labor market looking for jobs. Perhaps the services sector may not have the labor absorptive capacity mm -hmm. to be able to generate productive jobs for all these young people. So the manufacturing sector still remains very relevant. And yeah. for that matter, 
as a country, we need to pay particular attention to address the issues, the challenges that the sector face. Um, so indeed, the report also highlights the fact that our structural transformation path may not necessarily replicate what has been observed elsewhere, but manufacturing still remains relevant and we need to keep our eyes on it. Thank you. That was a senior lecturer at the Department of Economics of the University of Ghana, Prisla Chumisi Bafo. Brawl Ghana, a property services firm, is calling for awareness creation on the Real Estate Agency Act 2020. The act is to regulate real estate agency practice and commercial transactions in real estate, including the sale, purchase, rental and leasing of real estate. According to the firm, the only way to see the full implementation of the act is for industry players to spearhead education on the act to the public and other relevant stakeholders. The call was made during an industry network event organized by Brawl Ghana Limited on the theme Brawl Drives on the Key Trends in the Ghanaian Real Estate Market. Speaking to City Business News, Chief Executive Officer of the firm, Tony Citra, indicated that doing that is in the benefit of the real estate industry. This needs to be driven by the industry. The government has done its part by passing the act and then creating the framework. But it's industry players that have to create advocacy that will push the implementation and, and the actual prosecution of the act. Primarily because we are the ones that are going to use it at the end of the day and it is in our interest that it's implemented correctly. So that is why we have done this to ensure that we create that awareness that government sees the importance with which we also attach the, what they have done for the industry. This is not the end of it. We're going to look at doing more of these to create more awareness in the public on the industry and the regulatory aspect of things. Tony Setra is the Chief Executive Officer of Brawl Ghana Limited. As businesses adopt technologies that allow their employees to work remotely as part of the digitization efforts, it also comes with some security challenges. Employees of such companies are therefore encouraged to take precautions as they carry out their work from wherever they are in order not to expose their companies to IT-related threats. Speaking during the City Business Festival Honor Series, Richard Dinsu, Senior Manager in Charge of Enterprise for MTN and MTN Business, encouraged employers to be security conscious as they are work remotely to protect their companies from information leakages and attacks. As someone in the internet space, I think is, a, is one of the challenges that the COVID brought. Mm. So you're working, you're working from home, um, your wife is around, and your wife is not an employee. Okay, and you're discussing numbers, you're discussing strategies, and or your brother is around, or you've gone to sit because you're not getting connectivity, you've gone to sit in a restaurant somewhere taking coffee and you're discussing business. Okay. So those are some of the challenges that somebody's sitting opposite. <laughs> somebody's and sitting opposite. Video you. And it's videoing you. Okay, capturing your screen yeah. and all of that. So first of all, it has to start with you as an individual. Mm. You must have that consciousness that mm. this this poses a security challenge. So mm. what can I do about it? Okay, so you're making sure that you're always locking your screen. Those are basic things. You don't need tools for that. Mm -hmm. Make sure you, you, you lock your screen if you're living there. Mm -hmm. If you're going to uh, have discussions, if you can use the, the earpiece, fine, and also conscious about the people around mm -hmm. and all of that. And you also should know that it's not every way you can discuss every, everything. 
Okay. So wherever you are sitting um, or seated, you are, you are conscious, you're scanning your environment. Mm. So that is important. Mm. That was a senior manager in charge of enterprise for MTN and MTN Business, Richard Dingsu. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Natalie Nete. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. It's 24 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandamado. Last year, June 10, 2021, I planted nine trees. I think about six of them died. Three survived. That was on the Green Ghana Day. Tomorrow is Green Ghana Day again. I'll be planting a tree. Planted coconut and uh, mango. I bought them from Fredu. Tomorrow, the government has declared Green Ghana Day. It's urging everybody to plant a tree so we can save the world. In the studio, I have um, someone who is involved in the private sector initiative to Green Ghana. We're hearing from Arocha. But before then, the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abdullah Jinapo, was on the City Breakfast Show today. He spoke to Nathan Kwao about last year's project and tomorrow's project. Let's listen. Ghana has lost its forest cover over the years. From 1900 to date, we've lost a whooping 80% of our forest cover. And that has far-reaching negative consequences on the climate of our country, and also has enormous uh, negative impact on the global action on climate change. And so the president is taking the decision that we have to intervene and do so uh, in a very revolutionary manner. And and, and the ministry is uh, implementing a two-pronged strategy in dealing with this matter. The first is halting deforestation, and the second is engaging in aggressive afforestation and reforestation. It is the second strategy of aggressive afforestation and reforestation, which is culminated into the Green Ghana Day. As you know, last year, on June 11, 2021, the Green Ghana Day, the president led the nation to plant 7 million seedlings, way above the target of 5 million seedlings. And this year, we set a very ambitious target of 20 million seedlings. And so what is it about tomorrow? All of Ghana, all of us, are being called upon to come out and mobilize 
to enable us to plant 20 million seedlings tomorrow. And the, the idea really is to uh, revegetate and restore the lost forest cover of our country. So tomorrow in the morning, President Akufuado will kickstart the nationwide tree planting exercise and lead the country by planting the first tree at 8 a.m. at the Fuasada Land Park. The Vice President will plant in Kumasi, in, in, in Tamale. The Speaker of Parliament will plant on the presence of Parliament. The Chief Justice will plant on the um, premises of the Supreme Court. His Majesty Dasantini has been very gracious to plant in Kumasi. His Majesty Dayana will plant in Yendi. Former President Kofuo is going to plant in Gumwa in Suem. Former President John Ramani Mahama will be planting in Accra. And a host of other eminent citizens of our country, such as the Chief Imam. And most importantly, all of us Ghanaians, residents of Ghana, and those who are visiting Ghana tomorrow, we are all expected to plant trees tomorrow. Thankfully, the ministry has worked around the clock under the um, able leadership of uh, my deputy, the Honorable Benito Usibio, uh, to mobilize all the logistics. So we have more than 20 million seedlings available. They've been distributed across the country, forestry commission offices, district assembly offices, public places such as markets, malls, and several other places. Seedlings are available. And let me emphasize that the seedlings are free of charge. They are not for sale. Anybody who attempts to sell a seedling to you, you should reject that kind of offer. And so are we also planting economic trees. So we are planting mahogany, rosewood, um, uh, coconut trees, um, uh, mango trees, and several ornamental trees on the principal streets of our capital cities. So tomorrow is going to be a, a historic day where Ghana is going to come out to plant 20 million seedlings, 20 million trees, and thereby contribute to the noble cause of the globe in fighting against climate change. I mean, that's, that's, that's very extensive. But what's, what's the guiding principle for this year's edition? What's the theme for, for uh, Green Ghana Day 2022? The theme is mobilizing for a greener future. So mm-hmm. essentially what we want to do is to make sure that we mobilize the population, first of all, to inculcate into the youth the culture of tree planting and preservation. And secondly, to restore the lost forest cover of our country and this year, we learned lessons out of last year, and therefore this year, we are planting 10 million seedlings in forest reserves, degraded forest reserves. And, and that is going to mean that across the 16 regions of this country, we are going to create new forest reserves, and which is going to add to the forest cover of our country. We are going to plant the other 10 million in schools, churches, malls, various compounds, streets, people's homes. And so if we are successful at planting these 20 million seedlings tomorrow and we're able to look after them and nurture them to maturity, it will mean that we would have added a great deal to the forest cover and vegetation of our country. So that is the rationale behind it. The theme tomorrow is mobilizing for a greener future and let's go planting. You, you talked about um, the theme being mobilization. So largely you expect private individuals and all what about corporate entities um what's the what's the pitch to them and you know what kind of appeal will you make to corporate bodies who may hear this and may want to play a, a role or, or a, a part or, or another in, in in this exercise so corporate ghana has been very cooperative and the ministry is grateful to corporate ghana uh, we have been engaging with the various stakeholders of the ghanaian corporate society for the past two months and the idea actually is to have um, corporate entities adopt compartments 
and, and, and plant in those compartments, fund the planting of uh, trees in those compartments, and these compartments will be branded in their names. And in actual fact, we've even gone a step further to make an arrangement of co-ownership uh, of, of these trees, and, and that can be registered as the carbon footprints of these companies. So will it also be that these companies can register these compartments as being part of their corporate social responsibilities. And thankfully, a good number of Ghanaian corporate entities have stepped forward to enter into partnership with the Forestry Commission in order to adopt compartments, plant in the compartments, have them branded in their names, capture them as their corporate social responsibilities, and take co-ownership. As you may be aware, the industry of carbon trading, the carbon market, is mm. a very huge emerging industry which is very lucrative. Lots of monies have been traded on the carbon market today. So the idea is that corporate Ghana can also see Green Ghana as an avenue of investment where they can trade on the carbon market with the trees they plant as a carbon footprint. Palo, for example, is gotten into a memorandum of understanding with the Forestry Commission, and they are going to begin planting um, large tracts or large hectares uh, of, of, of forest, and, and that is going to be part of their carbon. Um, uh, it is going to be registered in their name, and they are going to have the benefit of it. So, yes, corporate Ghana is a big uh, part of the project, and it's not too late. Anybody who, any corporate entity that wants to get on board the Green Ghana uh, is welcome to contact the Forestry Commission, if not today or tomorrow, thereafter, or, or, or the weeks and months ahead of us to get into this partnership. With the Forestry Commission. Let me conclude by thanking the faith-based organizations for their support and cooperation. I do know, for example, that the Pentecost Church is committed to plant one million seedlings tomorrow. Mm. I also know that the I also know that the Presbyterian Church is committed to plant one million seedlings tomorrow. So are several other faith-based organizations are preparing to plant uh, thousands and, and, and millions of trees tomorrow. The chief imam in the Muslim community are also committing to plant a, a, a significant number of seedlings tomorrow. This is a Ghana project. This is not an MPP project. This is not an NDC project. This is not a southern project or a northern project. So the project for young people, old people. This is a project for all of Ghana. And we do this for the future of our country. We mobilize to green our society so we can live a better society for our children and great, great grandchildren. So tomorrow, Green Ghana, let's go planting. Thank you very much. But just just quickly, what's the status of um, the seven million seedlings that were planted from last year? Eighty percent of them have survived. Eighty okay. percent of them have survived. Per the report I have across the country, uh, we have had a monitoring evaluation team. They've been working around the clock, and as I speak to you, eighty percent of them have survived. And we we'll put in place enough and sufficient measures to ensure that the 2022 edition of Green Ghana, these 20 million seedlings, we have even a better survival rate than we did last year. So that's Samuel Abdullah Jinapo, as Minister for Lands and Natural Resources and MP for Damango. Tomorrow is a Green Ghana Day. In studio, I have Nana Yao Osei Dakwa, his convener of the Green Republic Project. Is that a government institution? No, 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 no. It's a non-governmental organization. Okay, and what, what what are you? Yeah, basically into climate action. And uh, we, we started this off in 2017, mm. you know, when we realized that, I mean, Ghana is, 
the, the deforestation rate of our country was alarming, mm -hmm. especially after 2018, the World Forest Watch came up with a damning report on Ghana, you know, that our deforestation rate was the fastest, you know, in the world. And so Ghana? It, yes, you know, in 2018. So it, it really hit us hard, and then we decided that we're going to use creative ways to try help as citizens of the land, you know, to remedy the situation. And so that really energized us to scale up our work. Um, we, we started in 2017 with some pilots in Winneba. You know, I remember the paramount chief of the area, even Patuk in our planting, we did just 500 trees on the pilots. And then when we realized the enthusiasm that we're generating, especially among young people, our focus was to get young people, students, you know, to get actively involved in this area. And so we did um, advocacy in schools, you know, to try and generate that interest for them to do so. After that, in 2018, we, we formally launched the campaign in the northern regional capital of Tamale on the 25th of May, 2018. And um, straight from the 2nd July, 2018, we did our first plantation in an area called Young Dakimili in the, in the northern region in Tamale, to be precise, mm -hmm. and we planted 3,500 trees. Now, the idea was for us to be able to, you know, stimulate interest in the area of tree planting. And um, the Forestry Commission of Ghana, you know, on the day, you know, supported us with technical and material support in terms of the seedlings that we planted. That was so the 2018 one. The 2018 one. So what we needed to do was to mobilize the energies of young people to come together to do the planting and also to learn, you know, how to plant trees and nurture them. Mm -hmm. You know, so we did that in 2018. Two weeks after the first planting, we did some, you know, uh, in Sang, in the Mion district uh, of the northern region, you know, where we planted trees as a, a wall, you know, as a wall around the school, the community day school, you know, which, you know, majority are doing very well. Like we set for ourselves a target of planting 20 million trees in the next 10 years. But over time, we realized that as a small organization, we did not have the muscle, you know, to, to be able to achieve it in good time. And so we started thinking about ways that we can get that multiplied, you know, in a very fast way. So we thought about the National Tree Planting Day concept, which is like this Green Ghana Day mm -hmm. thing. And so in 2019, we, we, we switched focus to make sure that we made a lot of noise about the National Tree Planting Day. And I, I remember I was here, you know, uh, CTTV, mm -hmm. I had an interview with... Uh, uh, Zoe, mm -hmm. you know, and it came up, you know, we're on other sister TV stations championing the, the cause for a national tree planting day so that we can multiply, you know, the effect and get more Ghanaians to be a part of the process so where we can plant, like, say, 7 million trees as happened last year mm -hmm. and even more, you know, as we're looking at this year. Mm -hmm. So um, after speaking about it on radio, TV, in the newspapers and all that, we also went a step further to try to engage, you know, at the very top, you know, of government to see if the state could adapt, you know, the National Tree Planting Day so we could move faster. And, you know, good enough for us, you know, we, we, the, the idea was bought into. And Green Ghana Day is here with us. And it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And uh, we, we really thank His Excellency for, for, you know, kind of, adhering, listening to young people and implementing such a project. I see. So what was your role last year, June, when the National Tree Planting Day was announced? I planted yeah, my trees. What was your specific role as um, 
the yeah, Green, Green Republic. Republic, yes. Yeah, we did uh, our own stuff, you know, because it's a Ghana day, mm. we need to go out there and plant trees. So we also did. So did you do your planting exclusive of what the government was doing, or you just took plants as well, seedlings yeah, from we, the government, we, and also we, did your? We just, you know, as part of it, we are Ghanaians too, so mm-hmm. we did what we had to do. Okay. You know, but um, we are thinking that there's a lot we can do going forward. I mean, I listened to the Honorable Minister himself, a very young, vibrant gentleman, and um, this year's uh, activity, you know, seems to be, you know, in sync with some of the ideas that we've been you know, um, tinkling with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if we're very focused and um, we we pay attention to sustainability, then we'll be able to achieve the goals that, you know, we've set for ourselves as a nation. And so, for instance, the 20 million trees are very ambitious. And um, it's good to dream big, you know, but we also need to put in place measures to ensure that the trees that we put in the soil, the seedlings, will grow to serve the purpose for which they were grown. So, What, what, obse- what challenges did you notice with the, the campaign last year? It's one year on. Yeah, we I are think told that 80% of the, of the seeds or the plants survived. That's, yeah. that's big, isn't it? Massive. And it's 10 million that was planted. That's huge. Yeah, I think the last year the target was to plant 5 million, but did 7 million, according to the Honorable Minister. Mm-hmm. And um, the challenges we saw... Again, it's more about sustainability, you know, so that um, wherever we planted, we should be able to track and, and to say that like the 80% that has been quoted is what survived, you know. So um, the side of the populace going out to get seedlings to plant by themselves, I think um, it's quite a challenge, you know, because we live in a country where by large issues of bread and butter you know, it's very key. And, and so on a Friday, you know, where people are going to find, you know, their, their food, how many people would, would leave that to go plant trees? So mm-hmm. we need, we need as the, the years go by, we need to be a bit creative to see how we can get a lot of Ghanaians to participate. Mm-hmm. And also not just participate, but also have that kind of uh, mentality that whatever we put in the soil, we have a responsibility to see to it that it grows. these trees, you know, grow to serve the purpose for which we planted them. Okay, now the government plans tomorrow's project to have um, 20 million trees planted. Mm. Do you think that's too ambitious? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, um, it's very, very ambitious. But again, I mean, I always equate um, governments to, to, to like, uh, you know, in quotes, like, like God. I mean, if if a government says we'll do this, I mean, that's the biggest machinery that mm. we have. And mm. so, I mean, resources can be marshaled to do it. But again, the issue of sustainability, you mm. know, so that w- once we plant these trees, we are able to monitor to ensure mm. that, you know, they, they, they duly were planted and are being taken care of. This is Brian Black on Eyewitness News. I'm speaking to Nanaya Oseh Dakwa. He's convener of the Green Republic Project. Tomorrow is the National uh, Tree Planting Day, Green Ghana Day tomorrow. Uh, he has difficulties with um, the sustainability. Let me hear from Daro Bosu of Arocha, Ghana. He has been speaking to us too. Let's hear what his perspective is. The Green Ghana policy in itself, I need to say, is good. But you also ask yourself, um, to what extent is government being very transparent with the expenditure? If you talk about 12 million cities being spent on 5 million trees planted, I guess this is just expenditure they are accounting from their end. The Green Ghana agenda as it is, is not only about government agencies engaged in planting, 
there are several institutions, civil society, private um, organizations, individuals, all involved in this process and also incurring certain costs. So first of all, I can already say that the cost that has been put out there by the ministry could not be the, the true figure. It could be less in terms of their end of expenditure or it could be more. But if you take it in totality, then there could have been some high expense in relation to what all other institutions have incurred. But the question is, is this the best way we want to use so much money for a so-called tree planting activity that is targeting a particular day? We have said time and time again that Green Ghana policy is good. But the manner and structure and way they are implementing it could be made better. For example, there are already currently the Forestry Commission who have got structures on the ground, district level structures on the ground, who for many reasons have got targets for planting trees in off-reserve and also on-reserve areas. Most of these district um, offices don't have resources to even run day-to-day -day operational issues and even deploy YAE staff. So why should we decide that on a particular day we, we allocate so much money to plant 5 million trees? I believe that if we are very strategic, we could have a year-long Green Ghana agenda being implemented by an operational institution like the Forestry Commission rather than a system being spearheaded by the Ministry of Lands. And that has been always our challenge. Then you ask yourself, if you really say we planted 5 million trees, how do we really account for that when all those plantings were not done by the ministry? So I'm sure when they put out the percentages at 80% survival rate and all of that, they're only talking about those ones that were planted by their own people. But do we know the status of trees planted by NGOs, private sector organizations, along roads and other places, and some reports we got from many places where cattle raiding most of these places, fires and all of that, we can't really tell. But if this program is run by the day-to-day -day operational strategy or structure of the Forestry Commission and their district offices, I believe that there can be easy accounting, easy monitoring, and also easy supervision that can then benefit Ghana in the long run. So that's uh, Daryl Boso of Arocha, Ghana. You agree with the things he's saying there? Yeah, I mean, we, I share a lot of his thoughts. And um, I think that what I'd like to add is the fact that, you know, the, the issue of our land tenor system mm -hmm. is also a big challenge to this Green Ghana Day. And, and that's how come the Green Republic pr project, you know, had a certain, you know, um, strategy that we're going to use to be able to achieve, you know, the goal. So, for instance, I mean, um, the minister was talking about uh, you know, like uh, territories where people could do like the uh, corporate bodies mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. that. Now, what what we are saying is this: the chiefs own the lands, and so why why not engage these chiefs, traditional rulers, to say that in every district, give us let's say fifty hectares or twenty hectares of land, and let's have about say two hundred thousand seedlings standing in one place mm -hmm. you know and then everybody who comes out to plant in that district must first and foremost go into that space where there will be forestry commission officers to to aid and build those plantations in every district and so when anybody has a problem and wants to know how many trees were planted we can go and check. it's not difficult mm -hmm. you can easily even by google map you can just you know go there and see it for yourself mm. 
this way we can now but does it does it matter though what matters is that we are planting if i'm planting behind my house it's okay why should i be confined and restrained okay. to an area so you can plant in your house i'm not saying you cannot plant in your house mm. you can plant but the sustainability bit is what makes this proposal i'm making very important so we should have so a one common ground where we can all protect where it. everybody can go in there and plant and then for the households, we can do the fruit trees and stuff because people will benefit mm -hmm. directly mm -hmm. over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So we can also use this strategy to try and improve on our endangered species, you know, the trees that are getting, you know, endangered so that we can bring them up more. So, for instance, we can decide that year one, the focus is going to be on mahogany because the use of mahogany is so much in this country mm -hmm. from the alcoholic beverage industry to the traditional medicines, you know, sector. It, it has a lot of uses. And so once we say that we're going to concentrate on that, by the time we finish in a year, we would have restocked, you know, that um, particular species mm -hmm. that is getting endangered. And so this particular district by district planting sites will make it easy for accounting purposes then I know that 100,000 trees are standing here. So if I multiply that by the number of districts, you I can easily figure. have a fair figure of how many trees have been planted. Well. But when everybody is supposed to go for seedlings and plant, who watches to see that indeed uh, personality A went for 10 trees and planted them? Tracking it becomes a difficult becomes a very And the money will be wasted. Thing, and the money will be wasted. And, and yet the idea and the, 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 the brain behind it is good, is great, but we need to find you know, a strategic way of achieving results. So on the record, we can say one million seedlings have been collected, but as to whether that is translating into one million trees, that's a different story. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Point Blanket for speaking to us, Nana. Thank you very much. That's Mubarak. Nana Yaose Dakwa. He's convener of the Green Republic Project. So tomorrow is a Green Ghana Day. Please uh, plant a tree, even if it's just one. Go ahead and do that. Um, I'm going to do mine. And so please do yours too. So we save the environment together that would be it for eyewitness news but before i go let me just give you a quick update we a big story tonight uh, one of the big headlines has to do with a campaign by uh, ningo prime prime mp samonate george and some other mps to have an lgbtqi plus billboard on the motorway removed he has just sent us a message now saying that information he has gathered uh, shows that let me read it says information reaching me is that the obnoxious lgbtqi plus bill, bill, billboard has been removed this evening after a press engagement today. We salute the authorities for their swift response. So that's Samuel Nate George, also known as Jata. My name is Umaru Sandamado. This has been Eyewitness News, produced by Sixtus Don Ulo, Beverly London, and Zoe Abobedu Ado. The technical support came through from Daniel Squashi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you and good night.
City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.